you again. Can I get a bench with you? Yeah, it's lovely. Where's our cup of tea? Cappuccino we should get. So uh, for those that don't know you, me, I'm Ian Gardner. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, occasional investor, and now work at Amazon Web Services looking after innovative startups. Uh, I'm not sure whose idea it was to get a Scotsman and a German on stage together. After the Frenchman. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now we do want some questions, which we're, we're going to... So I've got a few questions that we'll, we'll ask Jost here. Uh, but for those of you out there, go to sli.do, assuming you haven't used up all of your data and your, your devices are still charged. Um, so let, let's start with the lifestyle. I mean, like you've famously talked about how great Sydney is in terms of a place to live and a place to bring up the kids and put them to school. But you've also been a little bit critical about the startup ecosystem. So... You know, some people here who are younger think that the, the, the streets are paved with gold in Silicon Valley and, you know, the path to riches is over there and happiness, but you've made the choice to stay here. So can you just talk us through what was going through your head when you moved here and wanted to stay from the lifestyle and business side? I mean, the reality is not much went through my head because my wife made the decision. <laughs> so, so uh, but having said this, I, I think this city is second to none in terms of lifestyle. I also think that uh, entrepreneurs are attracted by such an environment if that environment allows them to pursue their dreams. Now, the reality is, as we progress into the digital economy, I think you can do it from here. But what that requires is a significant wake-up call in the Australian community. You know, uh, basically, we, we have a whole range of problems that I'm talking particularly fast-growth entrepreneurs face here in this country. Uh, one I mentioned, which is, I think you can raise initial capital I'm exaggerating, relatively easy, but that's possible. As soon as, God forbid, you are awesomely successful, there is still a huge problem to gain access to growth capital. You know? The, um, so, and when you say growth capital, I mean, you're talking 2 million plus, or are you talking the sort of 20 million plus? Well, in my case, I was drip feeding but with 3 to 5 million per year. Okay. One of the problems is also drip feeding against milestone. Show me the next one. I mean, it's a risk mitigation thing. But what it does is it takes a lot of energy of the entrepreneur on fundraising instead of on developing the business. Uh, and if you are in this few million dollars, my experience was that the institution, they don't get off, out of bed for it. Then also the skills are not very developed. We are lacking the scale. If you come with a banking model that we proposed, the normal wisdom is you can't compete with the major banks. This is a highly regulated space. You don't know what you're doing, kind. It's too complicated. So you have a scale problem. Uh, but I must say that it's moving now. We have a few success stories. I'm congratulating here the organizers to display them. I have now calls from Americans who want to invest into, the, uh, into Tyro. I mean, I tend to say, where were you when I needed you? <laughs> but it is a good sign, because there is enough going on now to warrant more attention. I would think that uh, hopefully the Australians get out of bed, yeah. and we don't leave it to the rest of the world. 
But it's a serious wake-up call. I'm really nervous about whether we get it here. We have, we have started the FinTech Hub. You know, this is a great opportunity because we can develop open APIs. But if the bankers in their towers don't leave it and hook up with techies and try now, we have a window of two years, then it's gone. Disruption is happening now. Yeah. I just got a message coming in from someone who says I need to let them know the URL again. So the sli.do for your, for your questions. Is it not clear where you go from there? Anyway, the questions will come in. So, and then the event code, is it, Nick? The sunrise. Sorry. And so let's, let's keep focused on the, that ecosystem. So, I mean, it's not just, I mean, funding is definitely a, a component of it. Uh, I know you're passionate about education, uh, and we've got, you know, a couple of hundred kids up in the, the, the cheap seats there. Hi, guys. Um, so what's your view as to education and how important that is in, in, in terms of trying to encourage the, the ecosystem? And it's probably a longer-term play, but I know you've been a, a, a pretty outspoken in your, your views in education. Well, look, it's, it's not difficult. The world turns digital. The real problems are being resolved not by bankers, not by lawyers. They are resolved by scientists and engineers. But this is a conversation we can have around the French table, the German table, the American table, and the Australian table. Yeah. We all suffer from the fact that too much of the brightest and uh, the, the, the most talented one follows something which I call Pinot Grigio type of studies. So what we need is, and it starts with us parents. I think we have, parents are very important. It's, if you see talent in the science, in the math, in the engineering area, let's encourage our girls and daughters that this is the future. They can resolve the big problems of the planet. You know, health, food, environment. They are resolved with science. So there is a great future there, and we are seeing enrollments in these disciplines going backwards. This is totally unacceptable. The first of all, the ones who are parents here or grandparents, you know, try to convince your children that this is where the future is. Now, it is obviously that in our democracies, too much of the money goes into the old age and not enough is going into the youth. But it is obviously that our future is built without our education system. And this is not rocket science, it's simple. So look at where the budget goes. Yeah. And raise your voice that the money goes and invests into our future, which are the youngsters. I mean, it's, it's, it's staring at me. But this conversation is everywhere across the globe, a painful one. So, so we've touched on funding and the challenges there. We've touched on education and the challenges there. And it was interesting. I don't think you mentioned it in your talk, but, I mean, you were a politician. Back. Did you mention that in your talk? No, I didn't. Was that deliberate? <laughs> well, look, if there's something that is extremely unpopular... First of all, don't be a politician. By the way, second, don't be a banker. <laughs> so, visibly, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I don't think I'm suggesting you go back into politics, Joost. Uh, uh, although, I think they'd probably welcome you. Uh, but the role of government within the, the ecosystem, uh, I mean, people are torn sometimes. I mean, my personal view is that it's better just to get on with it, but there is a regulatory framework that probably isn't as good as it could be. So do you want to just touch on that and your views on, on Australia and the government and what it could be doing? Well, I do think that uh, governments have an important role to play in terms of 
the narrative where the future of a country lies. So if I'm asking the average Australian, why do you think this is going to be a great, successful nature, nation in the future? I wished I had some answers. So for instance, in Germany at the moment, one would say, well, we are going to build our future around the manufacturing in the digital century. It's called Industry 4.0, that is everywhere and around the energy vendor, the change to carbon-free energy. So there are a few subjects where the Germans are they're convinced that they will play a leading role. I wished in Australia there were some of these themes that were developing, whether it's medical tech. It could be fintech. That's one where I'm very interested, because there's a window at the moment. So, so what are the themes? The government can play a role there. The second thing that the government can do is to concentrate its regulate, to smarten its regulation so that the regulation concentrates on outcomes and leaves more liberty in how we are delivering them. We made a positive experience with APRA. Now, to some extent, we also get the regulation we, we merit because... If we cut corners and screw around, then what does the community do? It increases the density of regulation and stifles everything. So we also get the, the regulation we merit. There's another point I want to make, which is that we as entrepreneurs should speak up and come forward with ideas. To some extent, the political class is also starved for concrete, practical approaches, what they can do. Now, uh, once they have them, it's still very difficult to muster majorities. You know, we, we are blaming politicians for anything and everything. This is a difficult... It's difficult as a politician to get reforms through the democratic process. So, uh, re resuming, where is the vision? Smart regulation and entrepreneurs who bring forward solutions instead of crying and having problems. So has the government's view of Tyro changed over the last nine years? Like, were you having to knock on their doors back when it was hard, and are they now beating a path to your door now that they see you doing some good things? Well, the interesting thing is that we were very lucky to be at the right time in the right spot when the Reserve Bank was seriously interested to create some innovative tension. And because... We were the only ones. They gave that a run. I'm convinced if there had been reputable big companies, I'd, I doubt that we would have gotten a go because it's, it was very counterintuitive. Can you imagine a regulator that supports a company that has eight months runway? Yeah. It's, it's not something that comes natural to, uh, to a regulator. So at the time, we enjoyed significant support and attention. Now, then the global financial crisis came, so that diverted the attention of regulators to other, and rightly so, uh, to other problems. There was now the David Murray inquiry. So what I'm hoping is that there is a renewed energy on dealing with the micro level of encouraging entrepreneurship. On, and, and it's happening a little bit, and I think that has to be encouraged. Yeah.
You might have uh, seen that ASIC uh, has announced an innovation hub. We have launched an innovation hub yep. um, uh, with the backing of Westpac, ANZ, AMP, and a few other ones. There is a new innovation hub on Clarence Street yep. called Stone and Chalk. So it looks as if at the moment there was some energy, and that needs to be sustained. So, I mean, just on that, you, like Tyro really was the the first or the original fintech startup, uh, but now fintech is the, the new black. Um, why is that? Well, I think that banking and health are areas where, and rightly so, there's a significant attention on managing and mitigating risks. So if you look at it, we are starting to see now technology and business models which hopefully can address that in new ways. I still... This is a difficult nut to crack. Disruption of banking and health is a difficult subject because you, you have this... Uh, you have strong entrenched competitors. You have dense regulation. And you have this issue of trading off innovation against stability that I mentioned. I think that the typical startup entrepreneur in fintech will possibly be bankers who leave their organization because they are frustrated to see what all could be done, but it just doesn't get done. So they, they bring the, the domain knowledge and risk culture, and they challenge then the best technical minds and mathematical minds to create new approaches, data analytics, algorithms to deliver the risk uh, mitigating methods that we need. Okay. Well, we've got about 10 minutes before we get kicked off our bench. Um, so what do we have we, some questions we, we do, the floor? It's, it's, come, it's come through my magic device. Um, so let me start at the, the top one. So Aussies bet twice as much in the Melbourne Cup than they invest in the early startups. I think they're talking uh, in the venture capital uh, front there. Uh, how come you're still here given that you would have been better supported in America. I think you answered that component. I have no to choice. It. You have no choice. <laughs> and actually, you know, just, just on that, I mean, there's a lot of people come back from Silicon Valley, and you may have seen this before, uh, and for the first two or three years, you know, they just whinge. It's like, this is awful here. I can't believe it's not as good. Uh, I think... But let me make a remark there, which I made once in, in uh, Germany uh, years ago, which is... Think, your, think differently. Think about Sydney or Melbourne or Australia being a paradise for entrepreneurs. And I think you can think this because they are so few. If you are in Silicon Valley, you are in a hyper-competitive environment, whereas here, you can build it. You know, just don't get mentally trapped by it. This is one of the greatest geographies, nations lifestyles, lure people to come here and feel strong about it. This is a paradise to start fintech. Yeah, and, and in Silicon Valley, many entrepreneurs work 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and you know, I know you've got a good relationship with your family, and so do I, and I've, I've really appreciated that, and that's and a really by, important component to happiness. By the way, the Silicon Valley work style could be a thinking mistake. It could be. That's the culture at Tyro. We think that people who do decent work and who have a balanced life actually produce better results. So you can provide here far more, far more 
um, competitive work environment than the Silicon Valley might deliver, especially when it's serious innovation. It's not flashy website front-end and user experiences. You develop real mission-critical products and applications. Don't imitate Silicon Valley. Try to think how you can do that better. And you can do it here. Yep, I agree. Uh, let's take another one. So from Anonymous, uh, what was driving your conviction to continue to back Tyro after such a long time? So, I mean, you obviously talked about how hard certain elements of it were. At any point, did you think about giving up? Uh, that was not at any point my thinking. Fortunately, I can afford to continue to uh, invest. Uh, one of my problems is under the Financial Sector Shareholders Act, I can only do so much. You need a broad shareholder base, so I needed to find other shareholders to, uh, to invest. It was not about me because we progressed and we delivered everything. It just took unbelievably long and it took much more money. My problem was whether we would hit a wall. I mean, then I have to switch off the light. Right. Because I can't put all the money in. If I can't raise it through the global financial crisis, sorry, I have to switch off the light. If the banks blo block my access, I have to switch off the light. Now, I would go to the Reserve Bank and say, look what they're doing. And then the Reserve Bank in the background did something, and then it was unblocked. Right. It's more that when you start, you don't know whether it works. Yeah. But we always found solutions. Yeah. And maybe we wouldn't have. So then, I'm done. Yeah. And that's one of the key adjectives I use in great entrepreneurs is tenacity. You know, and when I think of your Stolman, I mean, you are the most tenacious man I've ever met. Well, when, when I think about it, this is also... People come to me and say, oh, I have this great business plan and this and that, and my exit is... Oh, it's impossible. How can... You, I'm old school. How would I ever start a business with an exit? I'm building businesses, and they're supposed to grow and to be successful. So just go for the, long, uh, for the long game. And what are you going to do? You get a check, and what do you do next? So we are far too short and too early, and to just stay with it, brick by brick, and build grandiose businesses. Yep, I agree with you on that, too. I, question from Mick Lubinskis. Uh, how do you keep a huge team aligned and hungry? So maybe a bit about the culture and how you, you, you think about that. Uh, well, uh, one advantage we are having is that we have what I call a cause. We believe in smart, fair, transparent banking that is not afforded to the small and medium businesses on which the prosperity of Australia depends. So it is important what we are doing. That's number one. The second thing is we are doing complicated things that are really difficult and matter, which in my view, I'm not an engineer, but I'm told by my founders, this is what engineers actually like. They like to crack important stuff. We do. Then we respect that they have another life. We are very mature. Uh, we, we, we use all this lean, agile, uh, open source, all these new things we are using in a banking environment. I mean, most bankers look at this, if I have IT people from the banks, they look at it with disbelief. 
that one could ever dare to do that. So, I mean, most importantly, yeah, it is, uh, we have a purpose and we get out of the way and let the engineers get on, uh, on with it. We have a huge talent pool. And interesting enough for us, it is difficult because we are an unknown brand and we compete with the Atlassian, Googles, and Facebooks and whatever for talent. It's difficult for us to generate traffic in the engineering market. But once people join us, we have hardly any turnover. So we are a good place for, uh, for engineers, I think. Okay, we've got time for maybe a couple more questions. So uh, are you an investor? Or are you just focused on Tyro? Well, so investor in other businesses, I should say. Because I know you're an investor in Tyro, obviously. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm unfortunately not talented to do many things. So at the moment, I'm totally focused on Tyro. Our Tyro FinTech hub contributes asset skills and whatever to the startup uh, entrepreneurs. But we are not investing. We, we also don't want to have conflicts of interest. Yeah. So I'm a very focused uh, focused person on time. Yeah, cause, and it's kind of linked into that, but the, the virtue, if you're a small startup and you may be young, I mean, do you need a, they call it a veteran? I don't know whether that just means older dude, uh, like you and the, and the team. Does that help? Uh, that depends a lot on what type of business you are building. Let's take FinTech. In FinTech, there's a lot of stuff going on where young people develop a new user experience on device that sits in front of the banks. Simple would be a good example. So that's often young people who do that themselves. Now, if you have a system where you disintermediate the banks and you start to get into own risk, then it helps to have in your team domain knowledge in the form of bankers, in my view. So... If you do peer-to-peer -peer lending, for instance, building a book where it's not only the front end, but you are underwriting yourself, you need another founder team. If you do Tyro, which is a bank competing in the banking system with technology, you definitely need a good mix between experience and the young, fresh talent. Okay. Well, let's ask one more question, which will be a fast answer. So... A lot of uh, youngsters out here, especially up in, as I said before, the cheap seats. Uh, what is your one piece of advice to give to these guys that they might take away from today about either being an entrepreneur or trying to be successful? First of all, everybody is an entrepreneur if he only gives himself the trust of undertaking his talents. Everybody is an entrepreneur. Now, the, in my view, to succeed in life, be fascinated by the opportunities around yourself. Accept failure and bet on some fortune. The two Fs. Fascination, failure, fortune. That's three. How much did I say? Two. I'm getting older. That's, yeah. <laughs> Just on that, thank you very much. That was great. Thanks for the fun.